All of these icons are at risk from climate change. People around the world are, are really feeling what, what climate change means for them. The opportunities are here now and we can solve this problem. You're listening to the Climate Council Podcast. Welcome to the Climate Council Podcast. I'm Alexia Boland. Climate change is driving an increase in the intensity and frequency of hot days and heatwaves in Australia, exacerbating drought conditions. Right now, 100% of New South Wales has been drought declared, with much of Queensland also affected. Today we speak to our newest climate counsellor, Dr Joel Gerges, who is an award-winning climate scientist specialising in climate extremes. Dr Gerges has written about Australia's climate history, including drought, in her new book, Sunburnt Country, The Future and History of Climate Change in Australia, where she investigates and explains the impact of a warming planet on Australian lifestyles and ecosystems, along with the power we all have to make a difference. I did a uh, Bachelor of Science at the University of New South Wales uh, throughout the mid-90s and then I went on to do a PhD uh, focusing on uh, climatology. So I was really interested in understanding uh, climate variability and climate change in the Australian region. And I actually went on to do my PhD on El Nino, which is um, the largest source of year-to-year climate variability on the planet aside from the, the sea seasonal cycle. And so it was really important to try and understand uh, how things like El Nino were influencing Australian climate because we know that uh, when we are in an El Nino event, we tend to get a lot of uh, drought conditions that are drying out of eastern Australia. And when we are in um, La Nina conditions, we tend to get really large rainfall events that often result in dramatic flooding that we also experience um, in eastern Australia. So Mm. I was really interested in trying to understand the long-term variability of how Australian climate operates. And then I went on to work as a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Melbourne uh, from 2008. And I've been on two Australian Research Council fellowships working on a range of different climate variability and climate change projects. And and I currently, my newest position is um, as a lecturer uh, for the ARC Centre of Excellence for Climate Extremes. So uh, I spent most of my career, I guess, as a as a fundamental frontline researcher, uh, but more recently I've been doing work um, in the area of actually um, teaching and, and trying to communicate this information back to uh, the general public. And having that specialisation in climate extremes, can you unpack that a little bit more for me? Yeah, so I guess... Um, Australia is the land of drought and flooding rains and we often hear this and it comes from the famous Dorothea McKellar poem. And I really wanted to understand, well, how often do we get these extremes like droughts or or, or the flooding rains? And to be able to do that, uh, it's really important to use these long-term historical climate records. And there are a range of different records that you can use. And some of the material I've used throughout my career have included um, what's called paleoclimate records. And so paleo just means ancient and climate is climate or climatology is really all of accumulated weather and so really paleoclimatology is is a a field of science that uh, looks to uh, try and understand our climate variations before uh, 1900 which is when we have instrumental weather records here in Australia uh, and also for most of the globe so really trying to understand um climate extremes in a longer term context means that we have to extend our records back uh, 
into the past. And so you can use things like tree rings and, and corals. So corals have banding just like tree rings and, and things like ice cores and there's also lake records and and even cave records that you can use. And, and these records are really useful for providing that long-term pre-industrial climate variability. And then we can actually use these longer centuries long and even sometimes even a thousand years long these really long records to to try and place recent climate extremes into a longer term historical context and you, you touched on this at the start but you mentioned drought in australia and how that's formed quite a lot of your interest area how is climate change affecting extreme weather events such as drought across australia Well, the underlying uh, warming trend that we are experiencing in the Australian region is now influencing our natural variability. So Australia's climate has warmed by one degree Celsius uh, since the start of the 20th century. And about 70% of that warming has actually occurred since 1950. And so this means that all of our droughts are now occurring on the background of a warming planet. And so when we actually have higher temperatures, this leads to more evaporation, uh, which can exacerbate soil moisture conditions, which means that uh, plants that are needed uh, in the landscape for either um, for agriculture or just as part of the natural landscape start to get really uh, stressed in terms of um, the rainfall and moisture deficits in the soil and then that that actually dies off and then we end up with situations where there's not enough feed for livestock and and lots of really difficult conditions um, experienced in um, in regional Australia so so really what climate change is doing in Australia to drought is actually changing the nature of drought. Our droughts are becoming hotter and they're becoming longer as well. Mm. And this is something that is actually exacerbating that inherent nature of Australian climate, which is this land of drought and flooding rains. And the reason why we are the land of drought and flooding rains is because we actually sit in the uh, in, a, in this um, part of the globe where we actually have the great subtropical desert belts of the world. So Australia is actually two-thirds of Australia is either arid or semi-arid, so is is mostly desert. Um, But the other great desert regions of the world are places like the Sahara, the Atacama Desert in South Africa, and so on. So we actually sit where we are naturally occurring um, on the planet. It makes us even more vulnerable to a drying out of our climate. And how is climate change affecting the current drought situation in across New South Wales and parts of Queensland, South East Australia? Can we attribute climate change to this event or is it the longer term that we look at? Currently 100% of New South Wales is in drought and about 60% of Queensland is drought declared. And it's important to remember that the first seven months of 2018 have actually been the hottest on record for New South Wales. And the average maximum temperature for New South Wales were about 2.2 degrees warmer than average and so we're getting these rainfall deficits being compounded by above average temperatures and so what this means is that it is making our droughts hotter and while this event is currently unfolding obviously we can't attribute this particular event to climate change till pretty much after the fact and this is just Mm. in terms of the way that these events play out but um, but what we do know is that the the warming that we've experienced in the Australian region has has got a very distinct human fingerprint since 
1950. So since 1950, human activity has actually been influencing um, the global climate, but also here in Australia. And so we, we understand that the, the warming trend that we experience in Australia is being influenced by climate change. But in terms of the current drought that's playing out across much of eastern Australia, it's going to take some time before we're able to do the attribution work, which does that very careful comparison with climate models and you can look at the probability or the likelihood of an event like this current drought occurring in a world with just natural variability and then in a world with greenhouse gases from human activities and then you can actually compare the likelihood of these types of extreme events mm. in these two worlds and so this work is called detection and attribution and it will there's no doubt that this work will be done as soon as this drought has finished up but while it, while it's unfolding, it's a bit like trying to um, shoot a moving target, so it's a little bit difficult. But these types of events are, are very much um, of great interest to climate scientists around the country. And this also brings me to uh, to your book, which has just recently been released, Sunburnt Country. And this does take a really, really clear look at warming and how this is impacting on Australian lifestyles and ecosystems. What can you tell me about your book and what it's found? Okay, so Sunbird Country really pieces together our climate history for the first time and it uses a range of uh, natural and cultural um, records to be able to do that. So I've used things like historical records from early newspapers and colonial diaries and even farm records and paintings through to scientific records like weather records that we have from the Bureau of Meteorology and also these paleoclimate records like tree rings, corals, ice cores and, and all those types of records. And so um, we're really we're in, a, in an incredible position to be able to pull all this information together for the first time. And, and really what I tried to do with Sunburnt Country is join the dots between all the things we now understand about natural climate variability and human-caused climate change. And I think the reason why I really wanted to write this book is because I think sometimes as Australians we can potentially dismiss these extremes that we're experiencing is oh well it's all just part of the land of drought and flooding rains we've been through it all before but in fact something very different is now happening in the climate system and that is because we've introduced um, large amounts of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and into the ocean from as a result of industrial processes and so this has been clearly detected in the climate system uh, since the 1950s all over the world and this is really coincident with the start um, of the industrial revolution in 1850 so since 1850 we've actually been using a lot of fossil fuels to um, power human civilization mm. and really since the 1950s it's a period that's known as the great acceleration and this is a time where we've had an explosion in human population and our consumption um, of things like fossil fuels and other resources and other components of the climate system for instance the land surface so when we actually remove uh, forests from the land surface that alters the carbon cycle so instead of trees being able to soak up the excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere which they do naturally if we have fewer trees and fewer forests then we end up with an excessive amount of carbon that just remains in the atmosphere or gets soaked up in fact by the ocean and that alters the, uh, the energy balance of the planet. And so it's these changes in um, greenhouse gas concentrations and things like the, the Earth's surface 
um, in terms of also paving um, much of the um, much of the planet with roads and you know the urbanisation of our landscapes instead of natural landscapes we now have these urbanised landscapes with very different surfaces. So if you can think about that, we really have altered the the chemistry of the uh, Earth's atmosphere and oceans to the point where we've actually become a geologic agent uh, on on the planet. So we're actually a force of nature on the planet, just like the the great cycles of erosion and and um, plate tectonics and so on, which is an incredible thing to think about. Mm. And scientists have actually termed this the Anthropocene. And so what this refers to is it is a geologic era of our own making and it is the first time really throughout Earth's history that we've had the situation where humans have had such a, a vast impact on the Earth's surface and in the Earth's atmosphere and oceans to actually warrant a new geologic epoch. And it's, it's because of this intervention from, from human humans that we're seeing greenhouse gas pollution levels such, in, such as in Australia rise you know, year after year. We know that without slashing our greenhouse gas pollution levels, we're going to see more extreme weather events, including you know, the hotter conditions, severe heat waves, uh, droughts, and then the bushfires also come with that. What, what are the solutions? Is it still the transition to clean, affordable and renewable energy? Yes, it is. But the first thing I want to say is that really we've actually accelerated just the the rate of change. And so global warming that we've witnessed since the Industrial Revolution is around eight times faster than the average rate of warming coming out of the last ice age. And I think this is a really important point because people think, well, we've been through changes before, and in fact we have in the Earth's history, but it's the rate and the magnitude of the change that really matters. And I think that's just an important thing that maybe some people don't appreciate. And also carbon dioxide levels have increased 30 times faster than the background pre-industrial rates of change, meaning that we've actually accelerated natural rates of climate change. So that's the first thing I wanted to really say about this new era that we're in, just to to really make that distinction between deep time Earth history, um, climate variability and human-caused climate change and and they are slightly different ideas so that's important um as a climate scientist that i I just really wanted Mm. to share that Mm. um but in terms of the future i mean the really exciting thing is that all the technology we need to limit the amount of dangerous climate change already exists and while i was writing sunburnt country i was actually really blown away at the um the advances that we've seen in recent, uh, recent in the recent decade, really, uh, to, to see how much has um, uh, come along in terms of the technology and the uptake, and the um, and I, I really think that, um, for instance, um, the renewable energy sector in Australia has it actually creates uh, nearly double the number of jobs created by the local coal mining industry, and I think that that is something that is often lost on on, on many people um, that. Renewables are—it's a thriving sector, and it's growing, uh, and it really is important to the future of Australia. And another statistic that um, I think is extraordinary is that Australia is the sunniest continent on Earth, but only three percent of our electricity is actually generated by solar power. <laughs> and I think that really—it just represents enormous untapped potential and so I think sometimes we can get into this very black and white thinking about the way that we used to do things in terms of the way that our society functions but I think that the visionaries and the pioneers already see that the future 
is uh, clean and green. And it really is important that um, that we all recognise that it really is this pivotal moment in human history and it really is an invitation to exercise your power as a citizen and also as a consumer to to help write this next chapter of our history where we actually take a stand for an environmentally sustainable future and I don't think it's beyond us. I really don't, but I actually think that climate change is no longer a technical challenge in terms of the climate science. I think we have more than enough uh, climate science to actually move forward with what we need to do in terms of solutions and it's all there we just need the political will and the, and people to actually take a stand within their local communities uh, to, to create a future that is um, one that we all want to live in you're up to date from the Climate Council podcast team. You can also access all the latest Climate Council reports, fact sheets and podcasts at climatecouncil.org.au. You can also follow us at Climate Council on Twitter and forward slash Climate Council on Facebook. Don't forget the Climate Council is independent and community funded. We rely on donations to fund our critical research campaigns and projects. So please help to support our work and donate via our website today.